Hello and welcome to Frankly Speaking, where we dive deep into regional headlines and speak with leading policymakers and business leaders. I am Katie Jensen. Just days after the US, UK, Germany and other countries announced they will suspend funding to the largest aid agency operating in Gaza, Spain has stepped forward by pledging an additional $3.8 million to sustain UNRWA's life-saving operations. On this episode of Frankly Speaking, we hear from the Spanish Minister of the European Union, Foreign Affairs and Cooperation, Jose Manuel Alvarez, to ask whether Spain's efforts will make up for the shortfall of other EU nations and if the bloc is ever likely to support the creation of a Palestinian state. Plus, with 100,000 Palestinians estimated to be dead, injured or missing since the start of the war, according to UN figures, we ask if an immediate ceasefire could halt the killing while also leading to wider peace in the Middle East. Your Excellency, thank you for joining us on the program. Now, Spain's stance on the Gaza war since the events of October 7 in the Middle East has been well received across the Arab region. But frankly speaking, do you think the other 27 members of the EU are all aligned with your views on Israel's disproportional response? Everyone in the European Union, the 27, we are aligned uh, around peace in the Middle East. We all want Peace. We all want the release of hostages, and we all want that this is the last time we see this type of violence. There can be some nuances. A Spanish position, at any rate, is very clear. We are calling for a permanent ceasefire, for the immediate release of hostages, for the immediate access of humanitarian aid, and at the end, for a peace conference that will be the framework in which we will implement the two-state solution. At the end, we all know that as long as the Palestinian people doesn't have a state, there will be no stable Middle East. Well, Minister, you say that you are all aligned on peace, but let's talk about the UNRWA funding situation of late, because there's certainly some different positions there among several EU states. Do you think that had it not been for the objections of countries like Spain, Belgium, Ireland, Denmark and Luxembourg, that the EU would have halted all payments to Palestine in the wake of the October 7 Hamas-led attacks on Israel, something that was announced before a U-turn was made. Definitely our voice has raised up twice. Spain has speak up once. Uh, after October the 7th, after the terrorist attack in October the 7th, saying that the cooperation, development cooperation with the Palestinian people must not stop. And now with UNRWA. Uh, for Spain, it's very clear. Uh, there are uh, allegations against 12 people, and we take this very seriously, and we are looking at the conclusion of the inquiry. But UNRWA, is an indispensable, there is no substitution for UNRWA. They are taking care of almost 6 million refugees in Gaza 
and in many other places in Lebanon, in Jordan, in the West Bank. And what they do in Gaza is absolutely fundamental. They are giving food staff aid emergency to the refugees. So we are talking that if they fail, if they are not sufficiently funding from one day to the other, they will not be able to feed that people. That's why we have decided to increase our contribution to around 3.5 million euros on Monday to make sure that they will be able to function. And this is what I'm explaining to all my European colleagues. Well, I want to ask you about that additional funding in just a moment. But, but first, let me go back to my last question. Had it not been for countries like Spain and several others objecting, do you think that the EU would have completely halted all the payments to Palestine? We had a debate about it, and there were different opinions. We were very clear. The High Representative Joseph Borrell was very clear as well. So what's important What's important is, at the end, that the Union and the Commission continue to challenge funds uh, to the Palestinian people. Uh, you know, in Europe, uh, it's very common that around the table, at the beginning, we have different positions. Positions that have different nuances. It's nothing new. It's not only with UNRWA. It's with almost any topic, even with internal European topics. What's important is that at the end, we always manage to come with one single voice. Well, you talk there about being aligned and for the EU collectively calling for peace. But frankly, it feels like Spain is doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Now, your government has just announced an additional three and a half million euros in aid for UNRWA. Now, this is on top of contributing a total of 18 and a half million euros last year. Now, together with Norway and Ireland, Spain has said it will not pull funding for UNRWA. But, but Minister, I have to wonder, can the three countries make up for the shortfall that will result from other EU humanitarian aid providers, such as Germany and France, choosing to freeze their funding? Very candidly, no, we will not be able. If many countries around the world stop funding, we are heading towards a real humanitarian catastrophe. We are already there. Almost 30,000 Palestinian civilians uh, dead. It's a catastrophe. But here we are talking about something unthinkable, hunger in Gaza. And we can avoid it if we continue giving sufficient funding. What we are doing, and that's why we are increasing, we are showing commitment. Commitment to the Palestinian refugees in Gaza. And once again, and this is very important for everyone to understand, UNRWA does not only take care of the refugees and the people in Gaza. They do it in Lebanon. They do it in the West Bank. They do it in Jordan. All those people depend on UNRWA. So yes, I did it in Brussels, and I will continue to do it. I make a call for everyone to continue funding UNRWA. We are talking about allegations against 12 people, and we take it very seriously. We are against terrorism anywhere. 12 people out of 30,000 that work for UNRWA, 13,000 working in Gaza, a very small number, people that were not in leading position for UNRWA. And UNRWA is not trying to hide anything. UNRWA and United Nations are doing their own investigation, and they have called for an independent investigation. So I think they are showing their goodwill. There is no possible substitution for UNRWA. 
if those countries that have frozen their finance, they don't continue funding UNRWA, we are going towards hunger and an even greater humanitarian catastrophe. Yes, as we know, Gaza is on the brink of famine. It's everyday civilians, it's young children who are suffering the most right now. And I think certainly there's been a number of Western countries who face a lot of criticism for their, frankly, perceived double standards when we consider Russia's occupation of Ukrainian territory. Now, that is considered to be illegal, just as Israel's occupation of Palestine is surely illegal too. But, but I think whereas the US and the EU stand in the first case with the country under attack, in the other, they appear to stand with the attacker. So, Minister, don't both attackers deserve the same condemnation by the West and should doors not be open to refugees from both war zones? I agree absolutely with you. There is a growing concern in what we would call global south right now about how we position in Ukraine and how we position in Gaza and in the Middle East. That's why it's so important, and I always explain it to my European colleagues around the table, that we maintain the same position. At the end, it's just to follow and obey with the United Nations charters and with its principle, whether it's Ukraine, in which we have a clear position, a very clear position. Spain has a very clear position of being against this illegal aggression against Ukraine. And whether it's uh, in the Middle East, we are against the policy of settlement in the West Bank, for instance, because it goes against international law. Uh, any country has the right to defend itself from a terrorist attack. Israel as well, but you must do it complying with the international uh, humanitarian law. There must be a difference between terrorist targets and uh, with bombing hospitals, schools, places of prayer, United Nations headquarters, and of course, refugees are the same. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter their religion. It doesn't matter their sex. They are all the same and they all deserve our protection. Well, we spoke to a former UN human rights lawyer who said that actually the case of self-defense does not apply to countries if they are occupying another nation. But let's talk about your experience with the Palestinians. Now, in October last year, you said Spain had been scrupulously working with Palestinian authorities and UN officials on the ground for decades. You said you had never found a problem with where the money is going. So, Minister, I have to ask, do you believe the Israeli evidence against the 12 UNRWA workers who've been accused of taking part in the October 7 attack is accurate? Two things about that. First, as you said, Spain has a very tough screening of their development aid with any country. There has never been the slightest doubt that the money that we give to the Palestinian National Authority is well used. It's used for the purposes that is meant. But the Commission either. The Commission carried out a few months ago an, uh, an audit of the money they were giving uh, to the Palestinians. All that money has been well disbursed. And of course, I can guarantee anyone that the money that Spain is giving for the Palestinian people and the Commission has never been a channel to any terrorist group. I cannot know what the allegations will give in, but I know one thing. It's 12 people 
out of 30,000. They don't have top positions. And UNRWA and the United Nations themselves had made it public. There is an internal investigation and an independent investigation. And very soon, in a matter of a few weeks, we will know what has happened. Let's wait until the, uh, those investigations are carried out. And meanwhile, let's follow what the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, has made an appeal for. Let's continue funding UNRWA. And clearly, urgent assistance is needed for these people who are trapped in Gaza. We mentioned earlier, 100,000 people thought to be missing, killed or injured since the start of the conflict. But, but clearly, we need a longer term solution too. Now, your Prime Minister said in November last year that his new government's first commitment on foreign policy would be to work in Europe and Spain to recognise the Palestinian state. But does Spain have the capacity to reshape Europe's position on, say, a two-state solution and recognition for a Palestinian state? Yes, we are having leadership on that issue. And in the Council in October, there are two ideas that have been in the conclusion. They are, full, they are part now of the 27. One is the two-state solution, that is the European option. And the second one is the peace conference to implement that two-state solution and to make reality that Palestinian state. We are having a dialogue with the European countries to see how we can move forward. If at the end we don't manage to have a consensus, Spain is a sovereign country and will take its own decisions. But we all know what's the real solution for the situation in the Middle East and for definitive peace is a state of Palestine, with the West Bank and Gaza under one single Palestinian authority, connected by a corridor with an exit to the sea and with the capital in East Jerusalem. This is what is fair and justice for the Palestinian people and is the best guarantee of security for Israel and for peace for the Middle East. An opinion clearly not shared by all EU leaders at the moment. Now, Minister, there are ongoing talks about a ceasefire. Do you believe that an immediate and permanent Israeli-Hamas ceasefire in Gaza and what Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez has called the indiscriminate killing of Palestinians will lead to the stopping of hostilities in places like Lebanon, Iraq, Syria and in the Red Sea area? We are not going to stop calling for a permanent ceasefire. Permanent ceasefire and the immediate release of hostages and the immediate access of humanitarian aid is what we need at a very short term. This is what we are calling for and we will not stop calling for that. And my tour in the region, yesterday in Doha, today in Riyadh, tomorrow in Emirates, is carrying this message. And in the medium and long term, we need the state of Palestine. Well, Minister, I would like to ask about your visit to Saudi in just a moment. But first, if I may, just one final question on the regional conflict as it stands today. What is Spain's position on the Houthis' actions in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden? Is your government supportive of the US-UK strikes that are currently underway against Houthi weapon storage sites in Yemen and in the separate but simultaneous US assault on militant groups in Iraq? I, ha I have to wonder, do you fear that a wider and dangerous conflict could be likely to break out because of growing pressure on Iran to retaliate? 
We have condemned the actions of the Houthis. The freedom of navigation at high sea is a basic principle of international law. No one can send rockets over merchant uh, ships. And therefore, we are, of course, completely against and we condemn those acts of, of the Houthi. We have said it publicly and we have issued official communiques. And we are part of uh, the European consensus about a European mission in the Red Sea. Uh, another reason why we need definitive peace in the region is that the situation in Gaza is raising up many non-state actors that are using violence and terrorism in the region. This is not acceptable. We don't want more war. We don't want more military actions. What we want is peace and stability. Well, you talk there about condemning the Houthis' actions. So, Minister, let me ask you again, are you concerned about the conflict spilling over and spreading further throughout the region? I hope not, and definitely neither Spain nor any European countries want a widespread. But yes, I'm very concerned. I was uh, 10 days ago in Lebanon and Iraq, where Spain has troops, one under UN flags and another contingent of troops under NATO's uh, flag. And of course, of course, uh, they tell me how the situation gets more and more tense, how there are more and more attacks, uh, how on the border, in the southern border of Lebanon, there are it's coming from both sides more and more. Yes, of course, we are very concerned. That's why we have to act very quickly. Well, President Biden has admitted that the US strikes are not working, but says they will continue regardless. But, uh, but let's shift gears. Let's focus on your visit here. We mentioned the fact you're visiting Saudi, Qatar and the UAE this week. I know you've just met with Saudi's Ministry of Foreign Affairs what can you tell us about the discussions taking place behind closed doors there? Can we expect to see any changes? Will there be an upgrade in bilateral relations between Spain and the Kingdom? Well, I am very happy to be uh, today in Saudi Arabia and I had a meeting with uh, my colleague, the Minister of Foreign Affairs. I have had uh, several meetings already previously, the last one in, in Barcelona during Union for the Mediterranean uh, Summit. We have discussed basically two main topics. One is how to join forces to make sure that the definitive peace comes back to uh, the Middle East, how we can work together for a permanent ceasefire, for the release of hostages, for the entrance of humanitarian aid for the Palestinian uh, state. And, and the second topic is we realize that Spain and Saudi Arabia are very good partners and there are many fields, not only in economy, but in many other areas in which we cooperate very well. How to raise the level of our uh, current uh, partnership to a strategic partnership. And it has been a very successful and friendly meeting. Let's talk about some of those developments and the opportunities you've mentioned there. There is no denying there is a flurry of developments in the kingdom right now. We saw the Crown Prince. He recently announced a new company called Alat that is aimed at turning the country into an electronics and advanced industry hub. There's currently hundreds of security firms who are in Riyadh. They're taking place in the second edition of the sold-out World Defence Show. Meanwhile, when we look at the mega projects, the giga projects, since they were announced in 2016, that has crossed the $1.25 trillion mark. Do you think that Spain is capitalising fully on the endless opportunities in Saudi Arabia today? 
we could do it even more. Huh? Today, during the meeting, uh, I commended Vision 2030, and I congratulate Saudi Arabia for the expo that I will sure, I'm sure it will be a great success in 2030. We saw that there is still plenty of opportunities to work together. Uh, in that expansion and in that vision 2030. And there are fields that go beyond the economy. For instance, a change in education, different institutions that can come here, a change of students, cultural, language, many, many issues and many fields. And uh, we were talking about energy, where Saudi Arabia is very well placed, and Spain has great knowledge on renewable energies. We were discussing about green hydrogen, solar, wind. Yes, there is a still plenty of room to improve what's already an excellent relationship. Okay, so potential opportunities in energy, particularly renewable energy, education as well. Where other areas have the two really excelled in? Can you see other further opportunities? And if I may ask, are there any challenges where the two countries don't see eye to eye? I think that when you see the cooperation of uh, enterprises of Spain, such as Navantia or Airbus, that is a European consortium, but with a very strong uh, Spanish interest in it, uh, they have been of mutual benefit uh, for, for both. So I think we must continue on those issues. And very candidly speaking, I, I had a very long meeting with uh, my colleague, including an official lunch. We spent a lot of time discussing all issues, and there is no mute point uh, between us. Well, that's a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a reality, no diplomacy. <laughs> well, we like to hear that. Now, Spain has been historically close to the Arab world, but I think nowadays it's seen as a quintessential European power. It has a very important role in the European Union. Spain, in fact, has been described by the EU foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, a former Spanish cabinet minister himself, as being a country with a clearer sympathy for the Arab world. So. Do you think that the time is ripe for Spain to cement the historical ties that bind it to the Arab world? I think uh, uh, there is the sympathy that uh, my predecessor, Josep Borrell, uh, talks about. We are a Mediterranean country, and we share that with many uh, Arab countries. There is a tradition of diplomacy uh, between Spain and, and the different Arab countries, and there is this common past and common uh, history. So yes, I think it's time to renew. The Arab world is changing greatly. There are uh, fantastic things happening in the Arab world. And Spain wants to be part of that transformation. Today I was meeting, uh, the first activity I had is uh, having, talking to men and women of the Saudi society, of the civil society, and uh, I saw the thriving changes that are going on in Saudi Arabia, and we want to be part of that. Now, Minister, you are a regular visitor to the region. We mentioned some of those trips a bit earlier. Tell me, what are the biggest changes that you've seen take place in Saudi over the years? And what are the kinds of projects or the new developments that you are most excited about? 
There are several things. First, of course, there is the physical infrastructure. You can see it with your eyes how the, the region is transforming, uh, the, the buildings that you see, the, 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 the infrastructure. The second thing is more and more the Arab countries and the Middle East have a larger part in world affairs. And that's what we need. When we are facing with global changes, uh, such as climate change, of, or, or, or to fight uh, against uh, global phenomena such as terrorism, we need to work all together. And the Middle East and the Arab world is part of that. And today I, w I was discussing with several uh, Saudi women the role of women, how it's improving in Saudi Arabia. We commend uh, the Saudi's authority for it, and we encourage them to continue on that field, on, on that track. It's a very high priority for the Spanish government as well. Well, certainly some huge potential for opportunities, collaboration between both sides. But finally, before we go, I wanted to finish with a question on your year. 2023, very busy year for you as Spain's Minister of Foreign Affairs, the European Union and Cooperation. You certainly had your plate full during Spain's presidency of the Council of the European Union in the second half of 2023. Do you think that Spain was able to shape the Council's policies in any substantive way that was able to bring the EU closer to the Arab world in general and, and Saudi Arabia in particular? Definitely there was a very high moment on that. It was the Union for the Mediterranean uh, meeting during our presidency in Barcelona very few weeks after uh, the tragedy that was going on in, in Gaza. I think that was a, a great momentum. And if, if you allow me, uh, I think that without the Spanish leadership during that meeting, probably the meeting would have simply been cancelled because of the difficulty. And finally, we did a great moment of uh, Euro-Arab unity and uh, working together towards peace in the Middle East. And, of course, my colleague, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Saudi Arabia, came and he played an incredible role for that. Well, Minister, thank you for joining us on Frankly Speaking today. We wish you a very productive trip to the region this week and we appreciate your time. Thank you.